the Greyhound to the county line She's reading Marx and Lenin all the time She says, Jesus freak, you're such a fool I say, Satan loves you, thinks you're cool She's a socialist of the highest degree I'm a communist, her mother hates me You're an anarchist, you don't want anything from me I'm a Satanist, at least that's what I think I So, that's Asher. And that's Vix. And this is Speak, Speak of, of the, the Devil. Devil! The official podcast of the First Church of the Morning Star. Yes. And uh, do we have any important announcements? Uh, I don't know if we have important announcements. Okay. Um, you know, we got a church going. It's real. We're having monthly masses. We said that last time. Yeah, shoot us an email or something. At morningstarcongregation at gmail.com. If you are in the San Francisco area. And want to go to a satanic mass. Yes, that second part is also very important because if, otherwise why are you Yeah, if you us? don't want to go to a satanic mass, please don't email us. I mean, you can email us with like questions or comments. Or cute pictures of snakes. Yes, again, we would love cute pictures of snakes or your other pets. And we mean literal snakes not your trouser snake yeah just so we're clear this is the internet <laughs> um so yeah today we were thinking of doing something that we probably shouldn't do because let's be real there have been a lot of podcasts on this topic there have been a lot of documentaries on this topic there are a lot of books on this topic it's a big topic and we know some about it but we're probably going to fuck up a little. That's what we have Corrections Corner for. Yeah, which we've been, you know, horribly neglecting for yeah. a while. But, oh, I'm going to have you uh, tell the podcast audience about what you were just doing there. So, um, speaking of Alistair Crowley. Which is what this episode is about, which we didn't say yet. Oops. Um, <laughs> anyway, speaking of that fellow, um... <clears throat> I borrowed a spiritual practice from his book, Lieber 3, I think it is, mm -hmm. um, where I'm not allowed, like, basically you spend a week not saying a very common word, and if you fuck up and say it, you get, like, a physical punishment. The book suggests... The book suggests cutting yourself, but... We felt like that was a bad idea. So we've gone with having me pinched or caned. Yeah. Um, so yes, Vix is not supposed to say the word but. And I have said it three times today, I think. Which is somewhat better than yesterday. Because yesterday I said it seven. The first day I said it 24. And then I, why am I telling you these things? You numbers? know what? There's been a trend of steady improvement. Yes. Um, so yes, Vix is going to try to do this entire episode without saying the word but. Because uh, Aleister Crowley thought it was a good idea to discipline your speech in this way as sort of a mindfulness exercise. And why anyone would do something because Crowley thought it was a good idea is kind of a mystery. 
Um, but here we are. Mm-hmm. And here we are getting ready to do an episode on this guy who straight up called himself the Great Beast 666. Yep. And, uh... <laughs> One of, known during his life as the wickedest man in the world, I think um, now we can look back and in millennial uh, speak, call him the most extra man ever to live. Yep. <laughs> he was deeply extra. He was a lot. And as I was saying earlier, a lot of people have covered this. Um, people who are into Crowley are really into Crowley a lot of the time. And um, I'm sure that we will fuck up and make many errors and say things that you disagree with. But here's the thing. We're doing this because we thought it would be fun. There have been many podcast episodes, documentaries, books, etc., as I already said, done on Crowley. A lot of them hit the same high points. And... They still are entertaining every single goddamn time. Yes. And we are doing this because we want you to have the experience of the speak of the devil take on Crowley. Because we think we're very funny. We do. I wonder how funny I can be without saying the word. We'll find out. While being mindful. So, Alistair Crowley, or as I like to call him, Alistair Broly was born Edward Alexander Crowley on the 12th of October, 1875. And uh, he was born to a very strict uh, religious family in mm -hmm. a very strict religious sect called the Plymouth Brethren. Who are like the mean version of Quakers? Yeah. Think, like, too puritanical to be Puritans. I don't know how the fuck else to describe them. Um, they were dour. Super dour. <laughs> uh, super sure the apocalypse was coming. Yes. Really uh, soon. And actually, the fact that they were so sure the apocalypse was coming... Um, really was formative to Crowley in many ways. Obviously, he became very fascinated with the Book of Revelations in mm -hmm. identifying himself with the Great Beast 666. But also, despite the fact that his family was, well, in some ways because of the fact that his family was quite wealthy, um, he never learned how the fuck to handle money. <laughs> At all. Um, because his family was super rich, but also worrying about the future or planning for the future financially or in any other way was seen as a sign of a lack of faith that the second coming was nigh so it was kind of this combination of like normal weird rich white people think it's gauche to talk about money plus if you worry about money then you're not a good christian essentially yep so Money for Crowley throughout his life would kind of be this nebulous thing that he always just seemed to think that there was always more of and um, ran through. Yeah. Really fast. Because, <laughs> um, like, yeah. So anyway, he is a little kid and, um, you know, 
as a young child, he was actually pretty into Christianity. Yeah, um, loved his dad a lot. He loved his dad a lot, which is weird because when you read his biography, it seems like he's not entirely sure why he loved his dad or even if he loved his dad. But the death of his father when he was 11 is kind of... It's almost like before his father's death, this was a completely different little person. Yeah. And of course, also, you know, 11, he's a preteen. He's starting to come into that. Um, but sort of angelic little... Um, uh-huh. What is it? Edward Alexander, who was known as Alec yep. a lot. Um, something just, like, flipped for him. And his dad died of tongue cancer, by the way, and it was it was gnarly. It was bad. Especially because dad was a preacher and there was some, like... There's some weird psychological stuff going on there. Um, and I think there were also choices made about medical treatment, if I recall, that were influenced by the religion. Um, yep. Tre- treatments being refused and such. So... Crowley kind of immediately starts acting out. He absolutely hates his mother. Just turns on her, becomes a total little problem child. And um, we're a satanic podcast. Crowley more or less wasn't actually a Satanist. But when he was a little kid, he was a Satanist, which is adorable. Um, when you read his yeah. autobiography, or rather his auto-hagiography, The Confessions of Aleister Crowley, he talks about just being this little preteen and just really wanting to contact the forces of darkness. Yeah. Um, oh, we're going to talk about that one. Well, I mean, we don't have to. We should, but I want to... Uh Okay, so this is a story a lot of people tell when they're trying to demonstrate how evil Crowley was. Okay, well, here's my thought. Yeah, go ahead. We need to tell the story first before we get your take on it. Um, So when he was 14, Crowley... uh, 14, right? Yeah, 14. Yeah, which is pretty old for this kind of thinking. Uh, He'd heard that cats had nine lives. And due to his very sort of literal religious upbringing, Mm -hmm. he felt, and remember, he's 14, and you'd think that Mm -hmm. cognition would be advanced beyond this. But he was like, well, if cats have nine lives, it must be really hard to kill them. Mm -hmm. So he caught a cat and basically just torture, killed it many times over. Mm -hmm. You know, he... I don't forget what he did. I don't really like the gory details, but he was like throwing it out a window and then burning it and strangling it and just doing all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and people usually recount this as like, oh, baby psychopath. Mm-hmm. But for him, what he says about it is that he actually remembered feeling very sorry for the cat and just feeling compelled to do this in the spirit of scientific inquiry mm-hmm. because he was trying to figure out you know, if the things he'd been told were true. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, he'd been told all sorts of things that were beginning to strike him as equally absurd, like that the Earth was created in seven days and just all these logical yeah. inconsistencies in Christianity that he couldn't handle. Um, so this kid is going through a crisis of faith. Yeah. I also think, so it happened when he was 14, mm-hmm. after his father died when he was 11. Mm-hmm. His uncle, was that a maternal or paternal uncle? 
Um, I think maternal. It doesn't really matter, yeah. but fuck. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> he said the word. Um, however, uh, you know, doing that sort of thing to animals is a sign of an abused child. Mm. He really hated his uncle. And he was, um, he'd been sent to this really draconian school. Where I think there may have been trigger warning. Weren't there some implications of, like, sexual violence? Um, possibly. He doesn't really state that in his autobiography, but he also kind of cuts all of the gay stuff out of his yeah. autobiography well, because he could still have been legally prosecuted, prosecuted for yeah. that. So, um, yeah, I mean, one of the things that happened to him at the school is that another child accused him of something he hadn't done, mm -hmm. and then he was pressured to confess to it. And he didn't even, without knowing what it was he was supposed to confess to. Exactly. And they, like, socially isolated him. Um, yeah. Like, he wasn't allowed to eat the other kids at recess or speak to them socially at all. And it was traumatic and bad. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> so, you know, screwed up that he did that to the cat. Um, to his credit, it sounds like he knew it. But this was a, a very troubled little child. <laughs> yep. Um trying to deal with this very abusive, strict, religious world that he was in. And, you know, also related to the story of Crowley being falsely accused of something, Crowley had a lot of pride. Um, mm -hmm. And he, in a situation like that, he, he had this, you know, gentleman's sense of honor yes. kind of thing that we're going to see more of later on. So he could not bear that. Um, anyway, so as he's, you know, getting more into his teen years, he's acting out more and more. Mm -hmm. Um, his health is poor, so he's, you know, and he's a problem, so he keeps getting sent away to various family members mm -hmm. for his health or to straighten him out. Um, starts, he gets very into mountain climbing and rock climbing. Yes. And that's a whole side of his story Look, we're not a mountain climbing podcast, but if we were, mm -hmm. we could do an entire episode on Crowley leaving out all of the occult shit. Like, yep, that's an entire really other story of his life. Um, because this guy was very, very wealthy and was able to do whatever the fuck he wanted. As long as he lived, pretty much. Do what thou wilt. <laughs> I know that yeah. doesn't just mean do what you want, but we'll get to that later anyway. Mm -hmm. Um... And so he's getting sent away and, you know, spending his time in various parts of the countryside and rock climbing. And he's starting to get into drinking and smoking and sex. Yeah. In fact, he um, there was a hilarious exchange that he had with one of his uh, uncles, maternal uncle, mm -hmm. um, who was just sort of this like pompous preacher. And he would just written sort of a tract aimed at, you mm -hmm. know young boys about the two evil kings drinking and smoking and <laughs> young crowley looked at it and said but uncle you forgot the third and the worst king of all and uh mm -hmm. the uncle couldn't figure out what that was and crowley told him um <laughs> much to the uncle's consternation we're not sure if he said fucking or wanking but one of one those. Of 
um, yes. yeah, he, he caught uh, gonorrhea <laughs> fairly college, young. And got kicked out. Yeah. Because um, he'd gotten gonorrhea. Yeah, so, you know, he's he's a young wild man. Um, but eventually he makes his way to Cambridge University. Yes. Um, and sort of, <sighs> he thought he was going to study philosophy, but he develops this passion for literature. Mm-hmm. And this is another one of Crowley's passions, mm-hmm. along with mountain climbing, poetry. Crowley yep. loves poetry, and at this point he wants to be a poet. Oh, he's also a chess master. Yeah. Um, <laughs> ended up uh, kind of becoming mm-hmm. disenchanted with the chess scene while at Cambridge. Um, but that was something that he used to be truly impressive at as well. The guy was smart. Gotta hand it to him. Um so anyway, Crowley's at Cambridge, he's studying literature, he's mm-hmm. writing a lot of poetry. He meets a uh, a drag queen mm-hmm. called, I believe, Jerome Pollock? I thought it was Pollitt. Pollitt? You might be right. Let me check this. <laughs> yes, Jerome Pollock. You are correct. Um, Wait. Yeah. Herbert Charles Pollitt. Or wait. He's known either way. Okay. Yeah. Also known as Diane de Rougy. Yes. His uh, drag name. Um, I believe Crowley mostly referred to him as Jerome or just Pollitt in his book. Fair. Fair. Anyway, so in Crowley's book, he has this long-winded paragraph about how he and Pollitt had this pure spiritual connection that was the ideal of the Greeks, and there was nothing sexual going on at all. And then, um, apparently, his personal copy of uh, his confessions had little handwritten notes in the margins, Mm -hmm. and on that page, he wrote something like, I lived with Paulette for some six months as his wife, and he made a poet out of me. So. So, yes. Little Crowley is um, having his bisexual awakening. And, man, is it an awakening. It is an awakening. Actually, um, talk for a second. I want to try and find a little snippet of that poem I like. Um, Paulette was also a close friend of Aubrey Beardsley. Yes. They got into, like, the decadence and the romantics, um, you know, very, um, you know, the sort of art scene of that time, the weird artsy fucks of that time, bohemian, mm-hmm. um, you know. Um, ah, here we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is something we'll see again and again in Crowley's life. It was quite the time to be alive, and he had the privilege of moving in really interesting circles he did just all the time so um yes (laughs) just a little bit of this poem that i'm pretty sure was about paulet to feel him clamber on me laid prone on the couch of lust and shame to feel him force me like a maid and his great sword within me flame his breath as hot and quick as fame to kiss him and to clasp him tight 
This is my joy without a name. A strong man's love is my delight. And that's from uh, A Ballad of Passive Pederasty, which uh, was from Crowley's pornographic collection of poems, White Stains. Yep. And that was very racy for the time. <laughs> I mean, it's... I believe he had to put that one out under a pseudonym. Because that's gay. Yeah, and homosexuality was very, very much illegal still. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Um, this is what, like, 1895. (laughs) Yep. I mean, the memory of Wilde was... Mm -hmm. uh, And he broke up with Pollitt because Mm -hmm. Pollitt was like, what is all this magic shit? And Crowley was like... My life! Well, okay, so actually, a couple of things about that. Yes. Um, so he had taken on the name Alistair, by the way, at this point. Mm-hmm. And um, many of his biographers actually believe that his first mystical experiences were the result of homosexual activity. So, in some ways, his interest in magic was awakened partially by what he was doing with Paulet, mm-hmm. But Paulet was not into all this magic shit. He was yep. not interested in mysticism. He was a decadent, and he was, um, I think, pretty goddamn atheistic. Yeah. Just, a, you know, that aesthetic of emptiness and despair that the decadents had going on. Yep. Um, so they broke up, and uh, Crowley... Was sad about that for the rest of his life. Basically, yeah. Because um, apparently that was some real good dick. Yeah. So, anyway, he's, Crowley is searching at this point, um, and part of the way that he describes his interest in magic in his biography is that he realized that anything he could achieve on the physical plane was impermanent. Mm-hmm. So he had concluded that spiritual achievement was the only way to true greatness, and Crowley craved true greatness. Because he's Alistair fucking Crowley. And the man is extra. Yes. So he's sort of like, he's reading all these occult books, pretty much everything he can find. Mm-hmm. Um, big reader. Big reader. Um, he ends up leaving Cambridge without taking a degree, and he was uh, very elitist about that. Um, mm-hmm. I believe some of the other famous Cambridge attendees also did that. And so he's comparing himself to, like, Percy Shelley and shit. (laughs) Um, Because of course he is. Of course he is. Because he's fucking Crowley. Mm -hmm. But um, in uh, 1898, Crowley manages to meet somebody, um, George Cecil Jones... Mm-hmm. who is a member of the Her- Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, mm-hmm. which was at the time led by uh, Samuel Adell McGregor Mathers, mm-hmm. a well-known name in Western esotericism. Yes. So, Worth reading. Yeah. Um, a bit cuckoo. <laughs> As are so many. Yes. Um, and so Crowley... You know, he feels like he's arrived. He's in. And mm-hmm. he's just so excited. He's initiated into the outer, so they call it the outer order. Mm-hmm. And he just wants to be initiated um, mm-hmm. into just as fast as he can through all of it. Um, he's also 
Let's see, just checking my chronology here. Uh, he took on the magical name Brother Perdurabo, mm-hmm. um, which I believe means I endure everything. <laughs> Masochist. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> and he's, you know, meeting some interesting people, including uh-huh. very important mentor Alan Bennett. And the story about how Bennett and Crowley meet is just wonderful. Mm-hmm. Bennett was um, very interested in Buddhism, mm-hmm. um, which is his major influence on Crowley's life. Mm-hmm. And the first time they meet, Bennett just walks right up to Crowley and he goes, Little brother, you have been meddling with the Goetia. And mm-hmm. Crowley goes, No, 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 I haven't. And Bennett goes, then the Goetia have been meddling, meddling with, with you. you, which is just such an epic line that kind of like encapsulates how extra all of these people are. Yes. Incidentally, the Golden mm-hmm. Dawn is where um, uh, the writer Waite tarot deck originates. Oh, yeah. With um, Arthur Edward Waite. Yep. Who Crowley hated. Eh, not as much as he hated some other people in the Golden Dawn. Yes. But Crowley... He shows up in Crowley's novel Moonchild, though, as Arthwaite, a villain, and uh, he referred to him as Deadweight in his magazine Equinox. That's true. But the other thing is Crowley's just fucking mean to everyone. Oh, yes. He's a dick. <laughs> and uh, funny. Crowley was hilarious and a complete fucking bitch. It was great. Yeah. People think that Crowley is like this super serious, po-faced occultist. No. Crowley is a funny bitch. He's a funny bitch. And you know what he was about? He was about drinking, fucking, fighting, climbing mountains, traveling to the far corners of the earth, and... Being extra, wearing weird hats. Betting everyone. Anyway, though, so... Dressing up as a lady. (laughs) Yeah, that And happens. getting fucked in the ass. Yeah. Um, <laughs> pretty much. So speaking of getting fucked in the ass, Alan Bennett... Eh, actually, I don't know if we're sure that there was a sexual relationship there, but there are some implications. Um, actually, I believe that the police suspected that yeah. there was some homosexuality going Though, on. So, I mean, the police at the time, how good was their gaydar? Probably really bad. But I, I think that's the only evidence we have that Bennett and Crowley were doing stuff. So despite the well, fact that... Mm-hmm. Aside from the fact that it was Crowley and he was doing everyone. Go on. Yeah. Okay, fine. <laughs> so despite the fact that Bennett called Crowley out on doing demonic magic the first time they met, pretty soon um, Bennett and Crowley have shacked up and are doing demonic magic and also drugs together constantly. <laughs> I mean, maybe he was like, you've been meddling with the Goetia. I should know. I, I think that might be what actually was going on um although bennett was a weirdly pure person huh um oh yeah he's the one who became a monk yeah he he became a buddhist monk and apparently um when bennett was like a young teenager Mm -hmm. someone explained to him how babies were made and he couldn't believe it he thought that was just obscene and disgusting and um after looking it up you Mm -hmm. know in like an anatomical text and seeing that it was in fact true he um, promptly renounced his belief in the Christian God because he could not believe that that God would permit anything so disgusting to exist. So I feel like that's the evidence against Bennett and Crowley banging. Yeah, and that's fair <laughs> evidence, honestly. Like, a guy might have been ace. Um, yep. 
Anyway, um, Bennett eventually leaves for South Asia to study Buddhism, which Crowley will eventually hook up with him there later, or not hook up in that way. Um, (laughs) But in order to get Bennett to Asia, Crowley did a little ritual evocation Mm -hmm. of Bure to help get some money. Always a buddy. Because the thing is, Crowley could have just given Alan Bennett money, but he felt like that would have been paying him for magic lessons, which would have tainted the purity of the craft or something. Yep, so he had to get that. a demon to give them money. <laughs> which Bure. worked out that Bure, possibly Bure, or possibly coincidence, dropped one of Crowley's ex-mistresses on his doorstep. Yep. And uh, she gave him a wad of cash at his request. Because he was good at getting <clears throat> people to give him cash. Yeah, which is good, because he was even better at spending cash, as we've mentioned. Oh, yes. Um, anyway. Highly efficient at spending money. Eventually, Crowley progresses to the first grade of the Golden Dawn, and he's super excited to get the, you know, big, scary occult secrets. And what secrets are revealed at the first grade of the Golden Dawn? The Hebrew alphabet. Literally just the Hebrew alphabet. Big, scary secrets. Yeah, shit that Crowley already knew. So he's very disappointed. He continues to progress through the Golden Dawn, but he's starting to get a bit disenchanted and impatient. Um, He's also kind of making himself unpopular because he's a fucking enfant terrible. Like, he's he's a bad boy. He is. Crowley is. Um, He's... (laughs) Feuding with W.B. Yeats, who's a fucking member of the Golden Dawn at that point. Yep. Um, And there's some pretty serious politics going on in the Golden Dawn in the background. Um, This massive schism is developing between Mathers and the rest of the London members. Yep. Um, It's a story. I'm not going to be able to tell this story very well, but I'm because it's very complicated mm-hmm. and I don't have all of my Notes. references right in front of me at the moment. Basically, what happened was Crowley had bought a mansion in Loch Ness just to attempt the six month long Abramelin ritual. Which like you do. you're supposed to have like a special house with a specific layout to do that ritual in. And Crowley just bought a mansion in Loch Ness. He paid, I think, twice its value because the owners didn't want to sell initially. Mm -hmm. So there's Crowley just pissing money away gallantly. Crowley. Um, He starts, um, I forget what name he takes on, but another thing Crowley does is whenever he goes anywhere, he like assumes some weird identity. So he's styling himself as like a Highland Laird. Yeah. And he's wandering around and like, Highland attire or whatever. Because, of course, he Because he just is. Um, the locals are kind of terrified of him, and supposedly there's reports of very bad vibes happening around his house. Um, also, he talked at length about how his very clever dog mm-hmm. was um, sneaking out and killing sheep, but she was smart enough to go, like, really far afield whenever she did this, so no one ever figured out it was her. <laughs> Because she'd go, like, two towns over. But I digress. How did he figure that out, then? Um, Because he knew her and because she was... Coming home covered in blood? Yeah, basically. And, yeah. (laughs) 
I don't have the passage in front of me, but it's funny. He loved his dog. Um, he also had a habit of comparing women unfavorably to his dog because he was a huge misogynist. But, you know, that's another story. <laughs> oh, yes. It was the style at the time, of course. It was. Um, and Crowley's misogyny just had some extra flair, I would say. So anyway, Crowley's in the middle of attempting this abramelin, which you're not supposed to, like, stop in the middle of it. You know, you're you're really you're trying like, to summon up the kings of hell so that you can master them and banish them from your life and gain conversation your with holy your holy garden. Yeah, it's it's this whole ritual. Um, but Crowley catches wind of the rift happening with the Golden Dawn, and uh, he's like, "Gotta be there." Yeah, and so he goes and he um, tries to pull off this weird coup on behalf of Mathers, um, which involved him like. Essentially breaking into the Golden Dawn office and occupying it. And then he was, like, standing there in, like, a mask and this, like, weird Scottish regalia. And anyone who tried to come in who were Golden Dawn members, he was trying to force them to swear an oath of allegiance to Mathers. And it, it didn't work out. And it's everything went insane. to court and was very silly. And uh, Mathers is ousted and Crowley's ousted. Um, and afterwards, Crowley became sort of disenchanted with Mathers, mm -hmm. because Mathers had all this big talk about how anyone who opposed him would unleash a hostile current against them, and, you know, they'd be horribly cursed. And so Crowley's like, yeah, let's curse them. Let's, let's do it. Yeah, let's curse them. Um, and Mathers, like, doesn't even want to bother. And finally, Crowley spends an afternoon watching Mathers, who he's pressured into trying to do a curse, um, baptizing dried peas with the names of the dissenting members and then like rattling them around in a jar <laughs> like the peas represented them and it's like oh, ah take that my God. and Crowley was like this is stupid this is not magic <laughs> and you know he what? may have had a point <laughs> I mean it's definitely something someone would do however it just it's it's goofy it's goofy yeah um, so the Golden Dawn is kind of, um... Also, I feel like the choice of dried <clears throat> peas is especially... It's just, yeah. I, actually, I don't even remember if they were dried or, like... Oh, God, if they were regular... Regular. It was just... <laughs> yeah. I I think I assumed dried because Crowley described, like, rattling around. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this is all been a bit of a bust for Crowley, this Golden Dawn thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, he definitely got some ideas that would become um, very mm -hmm. influential to his later magical system, but he didn't yeah. really get what he wanted. Is that when he runs off to Mexico? Yes, he promptly runs off to Mexico. Um, to climb some mountains. Climb some mountains. Um, he does an experiment that he thinks will make him invisible while he's in Mexico City. Yes. And um, eventually he walks out of his Mexico City hotel wearing a huge red cape and a golden crown on his head and uh, no one seems to notice him so he concludes that he's invisible. Either that or they're not looking at the guy who's, who's clearly... clearly insane yes. and dangerous. Um, just like they're just not making eye contact yeah. body. So, so either it worked or he made himself look like such a clearly insane person that everyone pretended that, that he, he wasn't, wasn't there. there. So kind of a win either way i just i love thinking about alistair crowley walking around in a crown and a red cape screaming i'm invisible bitch <laughs> <laughs> um 
Mm-hmm. But, you know, he uh, climbs some mountains, writes some poetry, um, has some affairs. Because, of course, he has some yeah. affairs. There are always affairs with Crowley. Yeah. Um, he loved Mexico. He did. Um, and then he, uh, he goes over to Ceylon and, uh, hangs out with Alan Bennett and, um, learns a lot more about yoga and Buddhism and Hinduism. Oh, actually, I should say one thing. Um, there was a breakthrough in Crowley's spiritual development before he got to Ceylon. Yes. Where actually, unexpectedly, one of his mountain climbing mentors, yes. Eckenstein, um, taught him how to meditate properly. Yes. And how to, like, actually control his thoughts and quiet his brain the fuck down. Yes, which apparently inspired some of the weird mindfulness practices in Libra 3. I recommend it's online. You can Google it. Check it out. It's weird. Don't cut yourself, please. Yes, do not self-harm. <laughs> anyway. Be like me. Get your dom <clears throat> to hit you with something. <laughs> if you don't have a dom, get someone else, a trusted figure in your life, to hit you with something. If you don't have a dom, store-bought is fine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. Crowley sort of um, tools around. Um, as I was saying, Mexico, he does... Ceylon, he does some mountain climbing, um, attempts K2, um, which was a mountaineering expedition that really didn't work. Uh, it went very badly. No, that's not actually the one that went super badly. Oh, okay. Yeah. There was a later one where, like, a bunch of people died, but not that one. Yeah. K2 is incidentally <clears throat> one of the most dangerous, if not the most dangerous mountain to climb ever. Yeah. And I think second highest. It is the, the second world. highest, yeah. yes. Um, yeah, he hangs out in Paris. He meets uh, Auguste Rodin. Um, also the author... <sighs> Fuck. I'm not actually sure how to pronounce his name. W. Somerset Mom? Mogum? Mom. Mom. Okay. I'm I, that's One of those names that I've read but haven't actually had to pronounce. Um who modeled some characters in his books on Crowley. None of them flattering. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then Crowley meets a girl, yes. Rose Edith Kelly. and uh, She's engaged to someone else who she doesn't want to be engaged to. So Crowley just kind of does her a solid and marries her. So that she can be with the guy she's actually into Although, in retrospect, he really didn't do her a solid because he did not treat her well at all. Um, <clears throat> except then she and the fella she wanted to be with break up, and she and Crowley... Do you want to tell the story? Well, they, they kind of, uh, I think they kind of got into each other. Yeah. Yeah, Crowley fell in love with her. I've googled a photo of her. She was hot. Yeah. Um, and so they go on a honeymoon to Egypt. And when they arrive, they, like, dress up in turbans and other Orientalist-ass shit. And, and pretend, pretend to, to be, be royalty from somewhere or other instead of a bunch of fucking stupid English people. Um, <laughs> people do. Because that's what Crowley's like. And um, they uh, spend 
part of their honeymoon in the Great Pyramid, where Crowley tries to impress his new wife by trying to summon a bunch of demons. Because obviously, if you're gonna impress your new wife, demons. Yes, in the Great Pyramid. That's, Dead of night, you know. You know, you could get her roses, you could get her candy, you could get her jewelry, but really, Really demons, what a woman wants period. is demons, yeah, yeah. Great pyramid. I'm yep. PMSing. That's okay. Yeah, no, Crowley uh, got to do a lot of things that I kind of wish I could do, like just straight up buying an Abramelon house or honeymoon in Great Pyramid. Um, anyway, though. Yes. Um... Rose gets kind of slowly more involved with Crowley's magic. And um, Mm -hmm. one day she gets kind of delirious and starts going, they're waiting for you, they're waiting for you, they're waiting for you. Um, Sort of like full-on Joss Whedon, mystical crazy girl. Like you Like some Drusilla shit or something. Like you And um, eventually she says that by they, she meant the god Horus... And um, leads Crowley to this nearby museum. And um, because Crowley's like, yeah, right. You don't even know who Horus is. Exactly. And Rose is like, no, no, no. Look, it's it's this. And she just goes to this exhibit that she's never seen before. Yes. And points at, um, you know, Stella of Horus. But even more interesting, the exhibit's number was 666. Because of fucking course it was. Mm Mm-hmm. Crowley life. And so Crowley then begins to hear this voice that claims to be that of Iwas, who was supposedly the messenger of Horus. Or like you do. Horparkrat. Um, which is actually an interesting distinction because yes. it's been argued. Because so there's like. Rahorquit. Yes. And that's sort of the the bright side of Horus. Yes. And Horparkrat is like the dark side of Horus, arguably even set. So just a little thing there. Also, Iwas mm-hmm. is um, a name of the peacock angel, um, Malak Taus. Yes who is revered by the Yazidis and who some equate with the devil, but don't fucking do that because the Yazidis get persecuted for being devil worshippers. Enough regardless. And However, mm-hmm. knowing Crowley, he was probably into the idea of Iwas yep. because of the perceived diabolical connection. Because Crowley. Uh, Crowley. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. Crowley. Um, so he's hearing this disembodied voice supposedly telling him to, like, lock himself in the room and take dictation, and he writes down the Book of the Law, um, which becomes the foundation of what would be Thelema. For those of you who don't know, the law of Thelema is, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Love is the law. Love under will. And it's a little more complicated than just do what you want. You're supposed to find your true will through seeking conversation with your holy guardian angel, 
which of course was inspired by the Abramelin ritual. Which he never finished. Which he never finished, but and you know. And some people say he got possessed then. Of course, Crowley ends up considering Iwas to be his holy guardian angel. So, you know. Who the fuck knows? Yeah. Um, he also gave Iwas the grade of Ipsissimus in one of his magical orders. Yes. Which is kind of cool to do for, you know, a disembodied entity that you can't prove exists. How did you do? <laughs> um, so clearly Crowley took Iwas pretty fucking seriously. As you should. And um, the Book of the Law, for those of you who haven't read it, is nearly... Incomprehensible? Until you have some, like, context. Yeah. Um, I believe it's in three parts. There is sort of a monologue from Hadit, and then one from Nuit, and yes. one from Rahorquit. And a lot of eats. Eats, yes. And I'm not super clear on my philemic theology, but basically Hadith is like, he's chaos, is how yes. he's identified in Book of the Law. And Nuit is the goddess of the night sky. Um, yep. And Rahorquit Horus is kind of the, um, the coming of a new Aeon. He's the... Yep. He's the new god. He's solar and phallic and vengeful and bloody and powerful and, um, mm -hmm. you know, basically saying, like, the aeon of Christianity is over. Yes. Now the laws do what thou wilt. Um, also predicted that one of the first things that would happen would be a gigantic war. Mm -hmm. Which Crowley, Crowley, when he first wrote this down, was actually really disturbed by it. Yes. He did not like it and he kind of wanted to ignore it. Um, Which is understandable. And in a few years, you know, World War One actually happened. So... So that's a thing. <laughs> I mean, if you understood the geopolitical situation in Europe well enough, you maybe could have anticipated that, but who knows? Mm -hmm. Anyway, this is only going to be part one of the Crowley episode, so... I thought we'd maybe stop with Book of the Law, but we've got a little more time. So let's just uh, see we... how far we can get. Yes. Um, so shortly after this, um, Crowley, Rose has a baby who they name Lilith. Oh, not just Lilith. Oh, do you have the full name? Let me dig it out. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a name. All of Crowley's kids had names. Nuit, Ma, Ahathor, Hecat, Sappho, Jezebel, Lilith, Crowley. That is an awful lot. Um, that's a little too much. Oh yeah. Um. <sighs> so. Here's where, so Crowley writes a little bit more poetry. Um, he also thinks that Mathers is using magic against him. Yes. And so they kind of like fall out permanently. Yep. Nothing like a good old fashioned. Uh... Yeah. And then at this point, Crowley decides to climb Kachanjunga, which I might be pronouncing completely wrong. Um, which is widely recognized as the world's most treacherous mountain. Um, 
because he's Crowley and he does shit yeah. like this. And um, his uh, companions on the expedition aren't getting along with him very well because he's fucking reckless, or so they feel, which is probably true, knowing Crowley. Um, there's a mutiny. Um, the others head back down the mountain. He claims he advised them not to. Yep. Yeah. And, um, there was a avalanche and a bunch of them were killed. Um, and it really was, uh, everyone kind of blamed Crowley. (laughs) He claims that he warned them strongly against it and that he would have simply endangered himself if he had gone to try and rescue them. Mm-hmm. However, who knows? Who knows? Um, so, unfortunately, not too long after this, um, Crowley and Rose's marriage have been going to shit for quite some time. Um... He's abusive, allegedly. She's an alcoholic, allegedly. Um, He's definitely cheating because he's Crowley. Yep. And um, also, poor little daughter Lilith dies of typhoid in Rangoon. Yes, and nothing like the death of a child to really fuck a marriage up. Yeah, especially one that's, you know, kind of been on the rocks. So, that's pretty much over, that marriage. Yep. Um, even though Rose does give him another daughter, Lola Zaza. Quite a name as well. Compared to the other one, almost normal. Yes. Pretty. Yeah, no, you can, you can be Lola. Lola's mm-hmm. fine. Um, yeah. So, Crowley actually gets back to his Abramelin. He keeps kind of going back and forth with the Abra Melon. <laughs> um, but he... We'll just go back and do a little bit of this. Yeah. And then go out and do some shit. And come mm-hmm. back and do a little bit of this. You know. He's, he's doing some Abra Melon. He's doing a lot of hashish. Um, claims to attain Samadhi, which is unity with the Godhead um, in mm-hmm. Buddhist terms, I do believe. Um says he's contacted by Iwas again. Of course. And um has two more texts uh okay. dictated to him. Yep. Uh Liber seven and Liber Cordis Sinti Serpente. Um and so he's he's kind of starting to like get back into the Thelema thing and yeah. back into the Iwas thing and he's he's coming around to it. Yeah. Um, he says he was initially not pleased by... Yeah, no, initially he was kind of freaked out by... Everything. Everything it was saying, yeah. Um, and you know, actually, I think that that's a good place to end. Yes. With uh, Crowley kind of accepting Thelema. Because if we keep going, we're gonna get into Newburgh. And, oh man, do we have a lot about Newburgh. Yeah. (laughs) uh so so we hope that was semi-coherent we hope you learned some fun stuff we hope you're not too mad at us if you're a major thelema nerd who knows that we're wrong
email us. Tell us how we're wrong. We appreciate it. We, we love, love learning and we love learning about Crowley. Um, our main sources on this are The Confessions of Alistair Crowley, uh, Paradorabo by yep. Richard Kaczynski, a couple of uh, subpar in terms of accuracy, but entertaining documentaries and podcasts. Yep. Including the last podcast on the left. Series on Crowley. It is a fun series. It's fun. It's completely wrong, but it's fun. And um, me looking at Wikipedia just to keep an idea of the timeline in mind while I yes. do this. <laughs> Perderabo is a great bio. It is. And, and the Confessors of Alistair Crowley is hilarious. Is that is hilarious or are hilarious? Well, the book is a single thing. Yeah, I... I and... Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, do we have a... Backward Satanic... Fuck yeah. Okay. Do we want to do this together? I'll do the first part. You do the second All part. All right. All of the little holy We were not a Woohoo! And that has been... Speak of the Devil, the official weird podcast of the first church of the morning star we are on twitter at speak of the dev we are on facebook as speak of the devil satanic podcast we are on podbean stitcher itunes probably wherever you listen to podcasts review us tell people that you love us email us pictures of snakes which is at email um Speak of the Devil 666 at gmail.com. And, uh, Hales. Oh, the music. The yes. music is, as always, by the wonderful band Electric Mirrors. Check them out on Bandcamp. I have no idea where else to find them. I have tried. Um, Hail Satan. Hail Satan. <laughs>